0: Today on Onward to Victory, an episode a long time in the making. I attempt to tackle the endlessly pondered question that every fan of the fighting Irish have probably asked themselves at least once. Do the rigorous academic standards of the university enhance or hinder their recruitment and retention efforts? Is there even a satisfactory answer to this question? Well, let's find out. Buckle up those chin straps and for today... Sharpen those number two pencils and let's go back to school. This is Onward to Victory. fans and welcome to Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast. I am your host, Alex Painter, and welcome to this latest edition of the show. For this episode, we are going to tackle the not quite age-old question, but certainly one that has been brought up time and time again, particularly in the recent decades. And that is, does Notre Dame's academic reputation and standards hurt or help the college's football team? seemingly a very simple question i have spent several weeks on this episode actually simultaneously working on this one while working on others been just trying to find as much data to support or refute this notion as best i can honestly at some points i felt like the hamster on the wheel but i don't know i'm not trying to persuade anyone one way or the other but i will present fact and then you can come to your own conclusion So, yes, this is a discussion that could branch to all of the athletic teams, but some of which there is no question that the academic prestige of the university helps them. Some sports actually attract people of a higher GPA. That's just how it is. But since this is a football podcast, let's just stick with the football team. And I know there are people who feel incredibly passionate on both sides of the spectrum. And like I said, I won't agree or disagree with anyone outright, but I will present fact as best I can find it. Please note that this is an incredibly dense question, and I don't believe there is a silver bullet, so to speak, or one simple answer. There are many moving parts to this. So with respect to that, let's, well, try to get to the bottom of this. But as a quick reminder, this is episode number 40 in show history. That is 4-0, and if you're new here, please know that each one of these episodes is essentially handcrafted a deep research dive often presented in story form on topics that aren't covered much or have been long forgotten by the fighting Irish faithful. In some cases, the topics have really not been covered at all, honestly, Uh, or at least not with much liveliness, such as the case with episode 37 subject Alfini, or perhaps episode 32 feature Lewis Red Salmon. And I use the term handcrafted because that's really how the process is. I start with an idea, a blank canvas, if you will, And then the research begins and the story fills out, and I really dig into the primary sources, old newspaper, school publications, whatever have you, to give you the most authentic look at anything that we discuss. I think that's what makes this show perhaps the most unique. But none of this is possible without you all tuning in, so thank you. We have listeners in nearly all 50 states and dozens of countries across the world. Thank you so much, and a special thank you to the Consensus All-Americans, both past and present. I'll gush about these folks in show rap, but these are the folks who have donated monetarily to the show. And without being too dramatic here, they are the ones who really keep the show's engine powering. Want to become one of these awesome people and receive some show swag? Well, head over to paypal.me/onwardtovictory or patreon.com/onwardtovictory podcast. As I mentioned, I'll talk about it a little bit more on the other side of the show. Alright, I'm probably going to lose some pals over this, but I do commend Notre Dame for refusing to participate in the new EA Sports College football game until, the video game that is, until the NIL, which is the Names, Image, and Likeness rules, have been properly and fully addressed. Now, before I get burned at the stake for this, (laughs) first of all, no, I don't play very many video games, but I do respect the fact that a lot of people really want this game, but really quickly... This game isn't going to come out for another couple of years anyway, so it's highly likely that the NIL rules will be established by then. But, you know, Notre Dame gets on the front end of a really nice PR move, even if it is genuine, to protect their student-athletes in a sense. More on this soon. I'm sure there will not be an EA Sports video game for college football without Notre Dame. I wouldn't worry too much about that. But like I said, I think they're out trying to score some good PR, and that's kind of what they did. Which I guess this also serves as my way of saying if you saw that headline and you're kind of panicking, I would probably pump the brakes on that. Alright, so I threw out a quick poll in the Facebook group about our question of the day here. Does Notre Dame's academic standards or reputation enhance or hurt? Or I even threw out enhances, does not affect or hurts Notre Dame's recruitment efforts. And you all have spoken. I mean, it's a small sample size here. Ten votes. But it's about a 60-40 split here. It is a 60-40 split. 60% of you said that this actually hurts their recruitment efforts. And some Irish greats would agree with many of you in this sense. So, such as in 2012, Irish radio announcer and former running back, Alan Pinkett, many of you have heard of, was actually suspended for three games because he suggested that Notre Dame could benefit from a few bad characters on the team. He famously said that, quote, you can't have a football team full of choir boys, end quote. Back in 2004, the recently passed Notre Dame great and former Heisman Trophy winner Paul Horning said that Notre Dame cannot play the type of schedule they play again. Notre Dame is one of two schools in the FBS to have never played a Division I AA or FCS school without what he said, the black athlete insinuating that this group of players can't get into Notre Dame. Needless to say, he later walked the comment back and really applied it to any athlete, he said, of a lower academic tier. And yeah, the comments were problematic to say the least, and Horning took a bit of a bath as far as criticism is concerned. But he did try to substantiate his claims a bit, albeit in a different way. When he told the Dan Patrick Show about a time Holtz showed him a list of the top 50 high school players in the country. And he also told him that the admissions office said, based on these 50 students' academic records, that only three of them could be admitted to the school. Now, Holtz never backed the veracity or the truthfulness of this story, at least publicly. And it could have been a bit of a stretch, but we will never know. Tim Brown, himself a former Irish Heisman Trophy winner, backed Horning during this period, but he also gave a bit of insight I thought was interesting too. He said, quote, Everyone is convinced they're making it to the NFL, and they don't concentrate on being a student. I've asked kids why they don't consider Notre Dame, and they say it's too tough. The kids these days are looking for the easy way. If Notre Dame doesn't win games because they don't lower their standards, I can live with that but to lower your standards just to win football games is the wrong decision, end quote. Okay, let me unpack this a minute. I respect Tim Brown's voice and his insight. I will only disagree with the, quote, kids these days are looking for an easy way comment. And really, this is less on Brown and more just how I feel about society in general. Why would I say that? Well, because every generation... Every generation has said that about the younger generation since the beginning of time. Why? Well, I personally think it allows adults who may not be possessive of the youthful exuberance they once had. Or, you know, maybe they're feeling the crippling weight of being an adult. And maybe they just long for that time when they were children and they had far less responsibility. Or maybe when you get older, you're just you just look at mortality a bit different. And now that you're older, in order to assert your superiority over youth... You know, if not in any other category, you can at least do it with age. Kids these days, quote, have always looked for an easy way. They are kids after all. <laughs> I mean, I worked hard, but I, I, like I imagine most of you, could have also been accused of taking an easy way out at some point, too. I love nostalgia in the same way I love history. But don't let the former warp your view on the latter. Again, it's just kind of a nitpick for me. Thanks for tuning in on that. Otherwise completely unrelated rant, but the kids these days think just drives me up a wall. Okay. All right, I think the best place back on topic to start with this is a case study of some sorts. Let's look at acceptance rate and student profile for four schools, Notre Dame, of course, Michigan, Ohio State, and Clemson. I wanted to use Alabama and they will come up time and time again here, but I couldn't find the data I needed from their website And when it comes to finding academic information, student profiles, acceptance rates, you really need to use the school's website. There are so many third-party websites and you just can't trust them. Take it from me, I worked in college admission for seven years. I learned a lot of new things about the school that I thought I knew up and down on these third-party websites. I mean that kind of facetiously. But again, either way, I think this is a really good group of schools to use because two of them, Ohio State and Clemson for obvious reasons, They are really good at football. And a blue-blooded football program like Michigan, who has A, a fairly high academic standards themselves, and B, has kind of underachieved here of late, whereas Notre Dame has four seasons of double-digit wins consecutively. Okay, let's start with the acceptance rate for the most recent year I could find. In 2020, Ohio State admitted students at a 63% rate on over 53,000 applications for admission. So that 63% again is what is called their acceptance rate, which means that Ohio State admitted 63% of their applicants. Clemson in 2019 received just over 29,000 applications and had an acceptance rate of 51.2%. So they again admitted 51.2% of their applicants, just over half. Michigan had by far the largest application pool of all four schools we're looking at with over 65,000 applications. They admitted only 26.1% of them. All right, so of the four, the University of Notre Dame received the smallest number of applications, just over 21,000, but they only admitted 19% of them. There are a multitude of reasons for the acceptance rate. And you can really dig into reasons why each number is what it is. You know, public school versus private school, location, reputation, academic programs, etc. But, however, it is a clean figure that every single school has. So, Ohio State, 63%. Clemson, 51.2%. Michigan, 26.1%. And Notre Dame, 19%. So, this effectively means... Without a shadow of a doubt, Notre Dame is the most selective by quite a margin. So let's next talk about school reputation. Perhaps the most famous ranking of this, for better or worse, is the U.S. News and World Report Best Colleges Rankings. Again, I used to work in this industry, so this is something that I used to eyeball every single year. But again, I am not wholly endorsing all of these mechanisms of rankings and all that, I am just trying to normalize the criteria for our four lucky participants here. So and these rankings are made with an expansive criteria, and I mean it, it's as long as your shirt. And there are tons, and I mean tons of other rankings. This one just happens to be the most quote-unquote famous, and it covers the entire country. So on the National Universities ranking, Clemson comes in at number 74. Ohio State comes in at number 53. Michigan comes in at number 24, and Notre Dame comes in at 19, number 19. So essentially, yes, the 19th best national university in the entire country. So for additional context, Texas A&M came in at number 66, and Alabama at number 143. Princeton, Harvard, and Columbia came in at number 1, 2, and 3, respectively. Now, I would be remiss not to mention that the other schools that have Power 5 Division 1 football teams, such as Stanford, Northwestern, Duke, and Vanderbilt, came in at number 6, 9, 12, and 14, respectively. While ahead of Notre Dame, I, of course, again, would be remiss not to mention that their football programs, nor program reputation, it just does not simply come close of stacking up. But I figured the context was important. So in just a quick note to show that selectivity again is not inherently tied to rankings or vice versa, though Clemson is technically more selective than Ohio State. Ohio State is 21 spots higher than Clemson on the U.S. News and World Report list. So from a ranking standpoint, Notre Dame holds the highest ranking. This may not come as a surprise to you. And finally, for this portion, in looking at the incoming student profile, let's look at the average SAT for each school the middle 50% of all enrolled students. That means half of the students are falling in this range. So 25% will fall lower than this range and 25% will go in higher than this range. But for Ohio State, the middle 50% of the SAT is between a 1230 and 1390. I tell you what, if any of you are listening and you have some high school students, this actually might be helpful for you. For Clemson, that number is 1240 to 1400. So just a tick above Ohio State, on both polls. Michigan actually sits at middle 50% at 1380 and 1550. Again, for context, that means 25% of the incoming student body at Michigan has an SAT score higher than 1550. Okay, and Notre Dame is at 1420 to 1530. So the 110 points separating the top and bottom of the middle 50% for Notre Dame. That is the smallest range of all four schools, and it suggests a much more rigid test score requirement. Though Michigan's is 170 points, the 1380 suggests a much higher requirement than Ohio State and Clemson, and their 1550 on the high end truly tells the strength of their application pool. But the smaller range means that the requirement is going to be much more rigid. In other words, yes, much tougher. Now, all this talk about SAT scores, though the scores are higher now than they were when I took the test, just to prove that I am not a test score snob, I will submit for the record, the public record here, that in 2006, I scored a 975 on the SAT, which is about a 1050 now. Though I did fairly well on the ACT, I would have failed to meet the middle 50% at any of these places. Okay. Okay. Just had to submit that for the public record because all this talk of test scores, I don't want to sound like an elitist. So probably to the surprise of few, Notre Dame is truly the most selective with the highest academic standard and the highest academic reputation ranking of the four on our list. This truly is really important context and it bears repeating that Notre Dame's academic reputation is not a bunch of hot air. And I wanted to advance the actual numbers as part of the equation. Now, on to recruiting classes. What is the effect of this academic prestige? What does it have effect, if any, on the recruitment efforts? Can we make any connections or leaps? We're going to look at 10 and 5-year data. In an effort to normalize everything, I am just going to use Rivals.com rankings when applicable. And I know there are many, many others out there, but I don't know about you all, but Rivals is the one that I tend to frequent the most by far. So in the last 10 years, 2011 through 2020, here's the skinny. For an average class ranking, this is recruitment class ranking, Notre Dame comes in at 12.8 with a high of number three in 2013 and a low of 22 here just this past year in 2020. Michigan comes in at 16.6, a high of number four in 16 and 17 and a low of 49 in 15. Clemson comes in at 10 on the nose with a high of number two in 2020 and a low of 22 in 2017. And finally, Ohio state of our 10 year sample size of the four schools comes in at the highest at number 6.2 finishing number two, three times and as low as 21 in 2019. So again, when you look at the average recruitment class ranking of the past 10 years, classes. Notre Dame comes in at 12.8. Michigan comes in at 16.6. Clemson comes in at number 10 and Ohio State comes in at number 6.2. I will note that when turning to just the last five years Notre Dame is last at 14.6. Michigan rises to 10.6. Clemson 9.4 and Ohio State at 6.6. That is of course in no small favor to the fact that Notre Dame's last class in 2020 was outside the top 20. Now, there are tons of factors here, and this is not a simple question just to simply answer. All four programs are absolutely brand names in college football. But over the past five years, the school's aggregate successes recruiting do in fact mirror their selectivity or acceptance rate. So what do I mean by that? Basically, the schools that were easier to get into are ranked higher of our four on the list. The schools that are harder, Michigan and Notre Dame are ranked lower. But not for nothing, like all rankings, these aren't perfect either. I know we get hung up a lot on how many stars a recruited student athlete has. I won't go into it now, but I think information about four or five star guys who are busts and two or three star guys who are program changers is fairly easily found. Okay, so we have kind of covered the academic piece by the numbers and the recruiting piece, at least by the numbers, the metrics of which where these classes rank. How about on the field competitiveness and the production of draftable NFL-ready talent? I think the latter category is really interesting because yes, a big piece of this and I'm not trying to take away from it is the cultivation of talent. You know, you get those four five or two or three star guys coming into the program and I know part of it is cultivating that talent and, and growing and fostering that student athlete to become an NFL ready prospect but however the fact that the student athlete is drafted does say a lot about the recruiting efforts on the front end as well I mean I could argue that, and someone could probably argue against me. You're going to have a tough time convincing me that that isn't a meaningful metric when we are discussing the effectiveness of a school's recruitment efforts. How many players are being sent to the pros? But first, let's talk about the former category on field competitiveness. Over the past 10 seasons, Notre Dame has a record of 94 and 34 for a winning percentage of 734. So in other words, they win 73.4% of their games. This includes one BCS National Championship appearance and two college football playoff appearances. And yes, I counted the vacated wins into Notre Dame's tally, mostly because I think the NCAA's practice of vacating wins is not only unevenly applied, but incredibly asinine. Moving on. Over the past 10 seasons, Clemson has a 121-18 and record for a winning percentage of 871, so again, winning 87.1% of their games. They have six appearances in the college football playoff and two national championships. Ohio State boasts an 861 winning percentage by way of a 112-18 record. They have four appearances in the college football playoff with one national championship. Michigan, since 2011, has posted an 80-42 and 42 record, good for a 658 winning percentage, with no appearances in the college football playoffs. So again, they win, they have won over the past 10 seasons 65.8% of their games. So fewer than two-thirds. Of the four, Notre Dame and Ohio State have an identical strength of schedule indicator according to college football reference. With zero being dead average, the Irish and the Bucks have a ten-year average of 4.91. Michigan is right behind them at 4.67. And Clemson plays the historically weakest schedule of the four at 3.62. You can tell that to your friends who are talking about Notre Dame's strength of schedule. Over the past 10 years, it's been the exact same as Ohio State and better than Michigan and Clemson. When it comes to the college football playoff, which began in 2014, Alabama and Clemson have both qualified six times. Ohio State and Oklahoma have qualified four times. After that, Notre Dame comes in at fifth place with two appearances Yes, so that is more than LSU, Oregon, Georgia, Florida State, Michigan State, and Washington, as they have all appeared in one. So essentially, seven years of the playoff, 28 spots in the tournament have been occupied by a grand total of 11 schools, with 20 of the 28 spots taken by just four schools. Take that to mean that Notre Dame is right there. Over the past 10 NFL drafts, the Ohio State Buckeyes have had 69 players selected. Wow. So, (laughs) that's a lot. Um, But they lead our pack of four. Clemson has 55, Notre Dame has 45, and Michigan has 44. Now, you break that out over 10 years, and it becomes a bit more manageable to wrap one's head around, or at least less drastic. So that means Michigan comes in at 4.4 players drafted per year, Notre Dame at 4.5, Clemson at 5.5, and Ohio State at 6.9 players drafted per year. I'm just, either way, no matter how you cut the cake, Ohio State has this one absolutely sewn up. So what do we make of all this? Notre Dame is tougher to get into. This is empirically true. Notre Dame continues to recruit well fairly well to very well, annually a top 11 to 15 class. Proven by over the last 10 years, they have actually out Clemson three times, Ohio State once, and the third school in our control group, Michigan, five times. According to Rivals.com, they can do it. And when it comes down to it, Alabama is truly in a recruiting category of their own. They own the top spot, and listen to this, just in case you're otherwise unaware. They own the top recruiting spot for the best recruiting class in 2011, 12, 13, 14, 16, and 17. They finished second in 15 and 19, and they currently have the best class in 2021. They are in a class all of their own. But for what it's worth, Notre Dame does have the 10th best recruiting class in the nation, according to the recruiting service, Rivals. Now, in the top 250... High school players in the country currently, the Irish have eight, including three in the top 100. Again, for comparison's sake, are you ready to hear this? This is depressing. (laughs) Alabama has 17 in the top 100 and 21 total of the top 250. Ohio State has 10 in the top 100 and 15 total. And Clemson has seven of the top 115 total as well. Michigan has 13 players in the top 250, seven of which reside in the top 100. So yes, the difference between Notre Dame and Alabama's class seems insurmountable. But that is truly the difference between the first and 10th best classes in the country. Imagine how the rest of the 120 schools must feel. But let me throw something at you here. Academic standards could lax and all that, but here is one thing Notre Dame cannot change. And they are not alone in this sentiment, and that is location. Okay, so here we go. I went through the top 250 list one by one. And of the 250 top high school players in the country, 151 hail from southern states. Again, I'm 99% sure this is correct. I went through and I just uh, circled them. And so this is plus or minus two, let's say. But in this case, it's not going to matter. The rivals 250 list does feature 151 kids from southern states. And of those 151, 130 or 86% stay in the South to play. And that's not even counting those who may go to California just to stay in the warmer weather. That is absolutely huge. And to be fair, of the 21 defectors, so to speak, so again, 151, 130 stay in the South, 21 defect to Northern states. So of the 21 defectors, so to speak, who went North to play college football, uh, Notre Dame has claimed three of them including defensive tackle Gabriel Rubio, number 109 on the list, from Missouri, receiver Dion Colsey, number 144, from Georgia, and Prince Colley, number 242, from David Crockett High School in Tennessee. So of the kids on the Rivals 250 from Ohio, there are 11 of them. And Ohio State signed five, including five of the eight top-rated prospects in the state. The state of Indiana had four players on the list, including number 25, Blake Fisher, out of Avon High School, who the Irish, of course, signed. He is the gem of the class. So, again, is it merely the fact that the vast majority of Southern players stay South and if they come North, they actually go West to California where it's warm all the time? They have tons of football options. Ohio State tends to wrap up their home state pretty well in Ohio, being a bigger state and a much bigger metropolitan areas, they tend to produce much more football talent. But, sincerely, is location the actual insurmountable barrier to obtain a perennial top 10 recruiting class and not the academic standards of the school? It took forever, but I went back and examined the 2011 Rivals top 250 list to see where they came from. It was that year Notre Dame also had a number 10 recruiting class. Okay. So of the top 250 recruits in the country in 2011, 146 were from the South. And 93% of them stayed in the South for their college football experience, at least who they originally signed with. And folks, you see it in the national championship. This has absolutely bore... On not just recruiting success, but on the field success as well. Since 2000, 17 of the national champions have been from the South. I mean, that has changed drastically even since the 1990s. You don't think that's true? But in the 1990s, you had Michigan, Colorado, Nebraska, all claim titles from the Associated Press. Yes, I'm I'm counting Nebraska as the West, not South but Washington, Penn State, and even Notre Dame back in 93 claimed national titles from other publications or aggregates. Is it just flat possible that the times have changed? Is it possible, dare I say, that we have seen the last of Notre Dame national championships on the gridiron? Now, I don't think so, because nostalgia has the potential to foggy our view of the past, the present, and even possibly the future. Oftentimes our minds hearken back to a time in Notre Dame football history when it was simply easier to win a national championship than it is today. I think Notre Dame can absolutely win a national championship and will. And I think a Nick Sabanless Alabama changes the landscape considerably. Not wishing for the best college football coach I have ever seen to retire prematurely, but he will be 70 this year. Make no mistake, he is the X Factor. Yeah, they have tons of prospects in the South, as we have now talked about ad nauseum. But that guy loses recruiters and coordinators, it feels like, yearly. And they just reload because he is just that good. But I will say, frankly... Notre Dame is more relevant, not just in the wins and losses column, than they have been in a long time. You think I'm full of gas now, don't you? The wins speak for themselves, and they win an awful lot now. No, not in the playoffs, I know. I don't miss a game, after all, so I'm very well aware of that. But I am talking about one of Notre Dame's biggest recruitment tools in their tool belt, which also happens to be their Measure of relevancy in the public conscience. A national television deal. Just look at this past year. Notre Dame vs. Duke. September 12, 2020. 4.32 million people tuned in. Making it the second most watched home opener for Notre Dame in 14 years. The only one it fell short to was the 2018 game against Michigan. Of course, a 24-17 Notre Dame win. Folks, this was... Duke, and the television sets were absolutely lighting up. Total audience delivery, or TAD as it's otherwise known in the industry, industry I'm not a part of, but it's just an acronym I happen to pick up, was over 4.8 million viewers per game, which was the highest since 2005, including a 10.2 million mark for the Notre Dame-Clemson game. So Notre Dame will always be relevant. That is why they can win a national championship, because... Their games are watched. They are on the TV sets every single weekend. Do not underestimate the measure of that. They are close. They are close. And I'm sure there might be somebody talking to their radio right now saying, Alex, they're not that close. But I believe the Notre Dame lore, which will forever remain intact. And forgive me for being perhaps a bit of an optimist, but I think that that lore of Notre Dame, and yes, this is a program that really does hone in on that history and I still think that eclipses many of the barriers that Notre Dame faces in recruiting and now perhaps you're like Alex you just said you should not be nostalgic about these things that's fine however college football is and will always be a sport that is focused heavily on traditions and on rivalries and campus lore and campus life campus landmarks that is part and parcel with the game so yes while I while I do look at the Notre Dame history uh, you know with some rose-colored glasses and and I am one to say that I think that that actually supersedes the difficulty the perceived difficulty in top flight football players in getting into the school I think that still goes places and again I hate to stress it but I think Notre Dame's biggest issue is not academic standards I think it is geographical location, and I only use Ohio State, and I pointed out how many prospects come from Ohio because they are uniquely situated that Ohio is a football state, and Ohio State has the best foot Ohio talent cornered, whereas Indiana is less so. That's just not the way it is in Indiana. I mean, it's historically been perceived as a basketball state. Now, there are some really great football players who have come out of Indiana, but again, the fact of the matter is, as you look at the best high school players in the country, most of them are from the South. Most of them stay in the South. I don't think it's a challenge of getting the students in. I think it's a challenge of getting the students out of their home regions, okay? And if you're talking about retention, that's a whole other thing. Oh, we get the students in the program. You know, we have trouble retaining them because the academics are so tough. I did some digging, and the transfer rates out of Notre Dame essentially mirror those of other top flight programs and in years that it's higher it's typically because our students go out to get graduate degrees a little bit more frequently at least that was what I was able to see so oftentimes you see like Mike Golick's kid Jake went to UC to get a graduate degree a lot of those students will use that last year of eligibility and after they have gotten their degree from Notre Dame they'll go get a master's somewhere else so again we can look at it from recruitment we can look at it from retention and retention is effectively the same at Notre Dame as it is everywhere else and there are many accounts of student athletes exhausted by the rigorous academic notre dame experience but i mean again you really don't think the coaches are equipped to get way out ahead of that question during the recruitment process these blue chip top flight recruits have a very keen understanding that notre dame is probably a little bit more difficult than alabama i have a hard time believing that they that that barrier is truly insurmountable And not to mention, Coach Jeff Quinn was recently named one of the top 25 recruiters in the country. And at the end of the day, I think while the academics are a piece of the puzzle, I do think it is overblown. I have a hard time believing that. If Brian Kelly has a list of the top 50 prospects in the country, he can't get more than three of them in in 2021. I'm just not believing it. Even if that were true in the 1980s, the times have changed immensely over the past several decades. Hell, they've changed immensely in the past 15 years. The NCAA's revenue in 2005 was between 40 and $45 million. In 2019, that figure was approximately $110 million. It is a completely different ballgame. There is too much money to be made from athletics to be hyper selective from blue blooded athletic programs. We all know it. There is simply too much money to be made and too much money to be lost. I think what we really need to do is respect the fact that A, top flight football players can be admitted to Notre Dame probably much more easily than we realize, and B, Notre Dame is a wonderful institution of higher education, one of the best in the country. It can truly be both of these things. While I can't be 100% sure of any figure, I imagine that a huge part of Notre Dame's endowment is tied to athletic success, relevancy, visibility in the public conscience. I have to believe that. And again, an endowment is basically the college's savings account, mostly grown from, of course, investments, but those investments are made from donations from the alumni base and other supporters. I imagine for many of the Notre Dame alums who are donating to the endowment or through capital campaigns that fuel the endowment, whatever it might be, I'm sure athletics plays a huge part in these students' experiences. So get a load of this. In 2002, Notre Dame's endowment was $2.9 billion, that's billion with a B, dollars. An astronomical amount of money. In 2019, that number was at $13.8 billion. Wouldn't you believe that figure is tied to the fact that Notre Dame experiences a sterling academic and Athletic reputation, and when we think of Notre Dame athletics, there are other very prominent ones, but there is one that rises to the cream of the crop. The same one that has rose to the cream of the crop since 1913. That is the football team. Whew, okay, that was a loaded question indeed. Do we have any answers? Maybe, maybe not. But I suppose we've talked about enough over the last 40 minutes or so. That perhaps you can draw your own conclusion. Frankly, I'd love to hear from you. We'll be right back. everybody. Welcome back. And I, as I'm sitting here, I'm looking at the poll on Facebook. If you're not on the Facebook page, jump over to the Facebook page. It's Facebook.com slash Onward to Victory podcast. Give the show a like and a follow. But uh, looks like now 73% of you say that it hurts the school, the academic reputation, and only 27% says that it actually enhances or does not affect the recruitment efforts. So, I very well might be in the minority here, but I'm also very careful to not really. It's hard to say. Like I don't think it's a simple question, and maybe I did. Maybe I did everyone a disservice by just putting it out so simply. But hopefully, if not anything else, that we have all kind of come together and and realize that this is a very loaded question. Uh, and like I said, I don't think there's a simple elixir to to what the answer is, but also how to fix it. I'm not sure. But I know Notre Dame has a lot of solid mechanisms in place to ensure that they will stay relevant and they will stay among the top recruiters in the country. And I just really wanted to bring up the couple points that I had come across, you know, and some figures that really did, I think, tell a very authentic tale of the challenges that Notre Dame recruiting actually faces, and one of which, a major one, is nothing to do with academics, all right, so if you, again, want to jump over to the Facebook page, it's facebook.com slash podcast. Feel free to like and follow the Facebook page. That's where all of the major show updates are funneled through. Whatever it is that you're listening on, please make sure you're liking and subscribing, doing whatever it is that you have to do to ensure that you're getting all the new episodes. So if you have an iPhone, just hit that purple Podcasts app icon, give the show five stars, like, and subscribe. Again, whatever it is that you're doing, CastBox, Podbean, Uh, Spotify, I'm on all of those, so please make sure that you're subscribing. I really want to thank everyone who's listening to this. I know it was a long episode, longer than most of the show episodes, but again, this was kind of a labor of love. I wanted to really kind of throw out all the chips on the table, and we can do with them what we will. But thank you all for tuning in and listening. I know it was a lot. Um, I'm happy to, to talk about any of this. If you want to disagree or agree with me, I'm perfectly fine with that. In fact, I welcome any communication you may have, so feel free to send the show a Facebook message or just a good old-fashioned email at onward to victory podcast at gmail.com. I promise you I'll read any and all of the show's mail in a future episode. I want to thank uh, the Consensus All-Americans. So again, those who have donated monetarily to the show, especially during a tough 2020. I know it's now 2021. We're a couple months in. But I want to give a special thank you to Mike Finan of Rutherford, New Jersey. Mike donates to the show every single month. And man, is it appreciated. I cannot tell you how much it's appreciated. So thanks, pal. And also thank you to the other Consensus All-Americans. How about Brad Glazer out of Williamsburg, Indiana? And... Weston Painter out of Fort Wayne, Indiana. I really appreciate it, fellas. Thank you so very much. Words cannot express how appreciative I am that here now, almost two years into the show, got a few months left before the two-year mark, but here, episode 40, I just can't believe it. And I really, really appreciate all the support that has been thrown my way in this very humble endeavor. So thank you all. And with that, I should probably sign off, but please don't forget to like the show, subscribe to the show, give the show five stars. It helps, everything helps. Share the show with anyone who you might know who might appreciate it. It's all very, very greatly, greatly appreciated. So until next time, this has been Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast. And in kindness, I am your host, Alex Painter. And as always, folks, go Irish.